So we read 1 Kings 8, 14 through 26. And this is, if you remember, in the context of the temple having just been completed. The temple has been built. It's grand. It's glorious. It's hard for us to fathom how amazing a building, how amazing this structure would have been, particularly at that time. We have larger buildings today, of course, some of which are very impressive indeed. But it's rare that you see a building that would have been as inspiring as the temple would have been at that time with its precious gold and more brass than you know what to do with. Beautiful stones, wood paneling. Collections had been made for, well, since David was king, preparing for this. And it was a great and glorious building. And as the people gather together with Solomon to dedicate the building, we have a a fair bit of talking by Solomon. Solomon is the one who took on the work of actually building it. His father David had wanted to. We actually read about that in this passage. But David was not allowed to build the temple, and God told him that his son would build a house for his name instead. So here Solomon is, the son of David, building the house of the Lord. It's completed. And what does he do? Well, he prays. He prays. And what he starts by doing is blessing the Lord in the presence of the people. It's a, it's a declaration. It's a prayer, but it's also a declaration for the people to hear. It's testifying, if you will. Testifying to the goodness of the Lord. What he does is he reminds the people what God had said and what God had done. <clears throat> and then he prays at the end. And we'll read, he continues on for many more verses we'll, as we go through the rest of chapter 8. But right now, we're just going to look at these verses 14 through 26. What I want to point out to you is that Solomon says that God has been keeping covenant. God is keeping covenant and showing loving kindness. Verse 23 there. O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness 
to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Now, there's an awful lot of history wrapped up in this passage. The history of the people of God to that point. As a matter of fact, Solomon goes back to it in verse 16 saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt... So he's quoting God, talking to his father David. So we're, we're looking at two levels of history already, right? And then God says, refers even further back in history, and says, since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt. Well, the leaving of the people of Israel from Egypt by God's hand, by his power, by his deliverance, was the central reality of the Israelite people from then on. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. We often have our eyes glaze over when we think of time frames, right? Um, but does anybody know, any of you kids know, how old this country is? The United States of America, anybody? I'll give you a clue. We have celebrated our bicentennial. If you get a quarter from 1976, there are bicentennial celebration quarters. But we have not yet celebrated our tricentennial. I think that's probably what it's called. So that means that our nation is between... Anybody? Yeah. Good catch. Between 200 and 300 years old. So yeah. Definitely not yet to 400, right? When they first came in to Egypt, they were a small people, just a few. What was it? 37, I think, came down. I got one quizzical look, but maybe I made that number up. So I, I, I did not look that up before. What? 70. Oh, well, that's why I got the quizzical look, huh? a small number of people came into Egypt. And when they left, they had been slaves for hundreds of years, but they were a large people. There were tons of them. Isn't that interesting that God had been faithful to them even while they were suffering in slavery. <clears throat> it's not just interesting, it's pretty essential to our understanding of God's Word. It's pretty central to our understanding of what God is doing today. It's, it's important for us 
if we're to understand history. And so God refers to the fact that he brought his people out of Egypt. And that brings a certain amount of knowledge of the, of the Israelites to bear on the situation. From Egypt, God says. And what does he say? He says, no city was anything. No city meant anything. I didn't choose a city. I didn't make a city special. But instead, I chose a person, David. David, I made special. God made a covenant with David. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read from 2 Samuel, which is where we read of the conversation that Solomon is quoting where God speaks to David through Nathan the prophet. Here's what he says in 2 Samuel 7, 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. So this is God to Nathan the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But, my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Here's Solomon, son of David. Imagine being the son of David, when that's the prophecy that David received from God, when that's the promise God had given to David. Your son will sit on your throne. It's one of those things that we maybe take for granted about kings not having one. You know, oh yeah, king dies, and then his son is king. But when you read the history 
It doesn't always work out that way, does it? Lots of times, the king dies and you get a new dynasty rising up, a new family name, right? As a matter of fact, that had just happened to Saul. Saul of Kish no longer has his line on the throne. Now it's David's line on the throne. God is keeping his covenant with David. Why does this matter so much? Well, it matters because it's very easy for us to forget what God has said. It's very easy for us to forget what his promises are, what his requirements are, what his commands have been, or to forget the things that he has done. You come to this beautiful temple being dedicated, and what Solomon does is he reminds the people of what God had said, and he reminds the people of what God had done, and how they come together just right. What he said is what he did. And that's what it means to keep covenant. To keep covenant is to fulfill your word, not to break your word. And God is keeping his covenant with David. Now, yesterday I preached on this text in the Claremont County Jail. Sometimes I don't know whether I should try to preach from the same text. Often I don't have the ability to preach the same sermon. And that's what happened this time, even though I used the same text. They don't have any idea what God has said. They have no knowledge of the covenant. They don't know what God has done. Think of what a disadvantage you're at when you don't know the history of God's people. One guy knew that Solomon was the son of David. I don't think the rest of them knew who David was. How can you understand the good news of salvation, the new covenant, without knowing who David is? It's hard. You lose so much of the context, don't you? Fast forward to Acts 15 and we read this. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now, does anybody know where I'm reading from now? Is that what the story is? Does that bring enough context for... Yeah. 
No, no, I'm, I'm reading from Acts. What's the story? That's what's, been, what's happening right there? Simeon's a trick, trick name right there. That's, that's why I'm asking. This is James speaking in Jerusalem. He's talking about Peter when he says Simeon. Let's keep reading. He says, With this the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Okay, now, does anybody know what we're reading about in Acts 15? What has taken place? Any of you kids know? No? Well, if you go back and you have a, a hint in your Bible... It might tell you at the beginning of 15, the council at Jerusalem. The council at Jerusalem. So there was a conflict in the church. The very beginning, while the apostles are still alive, there's some fighting. And one of the things that they end up fighting about is sort of along the lines of what I just asked. How can you possibly be a Christian without first learning and beginning to follow all of the law of the Old Covenant? And a number of people said, you can't. You have to be a Jew. You have to be a follower of God's old covenant law. You have to first become clean before you can become a Christian. Which is basically saying you have to first become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And so they had a big meeting called the Council. Council at Jerusalem is what we call it. The apostles and the church and the elders all gathered together. And James spoke, and that's what I was just reading, who I was just reading. James spoke, and he settled the debate. And you know how he settled the debate? He settled the debate by quoting from the Old Testament, from Amos. And he said, hey, guys, we already knew this was going to happen. We already knew God was going to bring the Gentiles in. This agrees with the scriptures. And so he forced everybody to acknowledge what God's word already said. 
So, sort of interesting. You wouldn't be able to settle that debate easily without the Old Testament, would you? If they didn't know what the Old Covenant was about, if there wasn't the promise of this New Covenant all through the Old Covenant, they would have been very, very confused when all of a sudden Gentiles became Christians. But because they had the words of God, they were able to understand and to see, oh, God said he was going to do this. And then what did he do? He did it. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. He's saying, God, you said to David you were going to do this, and, and now you've done it. And that's part of his prayer. Now, why would, you, why would you pray like that? Well, I want us to learn from Solomon's prayer when he says, You have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand. That's very similar to saying, you have kept covenant. Because covenant is words spoken. Keeping it is accomplishing it, doing it, right? Keeping covenant with his people. This is what God is doing. You have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand. When we pray, it's important for us to know what God has said. It's important for us to know what God has said. We've been given a new covenant. Solomon prays, he knows what the covenant with David was. He knows what God had said. He knows what God had said to his people when he brought them up out of Egypt and when he gave them the law. Solomon knows what God had said. Do we know what God has said. Can we say, here's what you said you were going to do, God. Here's what you said you were going to do. Only if we know what he said, right? If we know what he said, then we can say, here's what you said, God. Why would you want to say, here's what you said, God, though? It's so that you can say, now please do it. Now please do it. God, you said you would be a God to us and to our children after us. Now please do it. You 
You want to pray that way, don't you? You want to pray that way because you are appealing to God. Now this, how are you going to bind God? How are you going to, how are you going to obligate God to do what you have asked him to do? You can't. God, I was really good today. Now will you please? God, I will be, I was not good today, but I will be good in the future if you please. Right? There, there's no way for us to obligate God, but you know how we can obligate God? Just tell him what he already said. He's obligated. Because he keeps covenant with his people. He will not allow one word to fail of all that he has spoken. When he says that there will be somebody to sit as king on the throne of David forever and ever, there will be somebody sitting on the throne of David. And so Solomon says, God, you said you were going to do it, and now you've done it? Now please keep doing it. Because the, the, the promise has not fully been completed, right? Solomon is one generation. And do you think Solomon thought he was going to live forever? No. Solomon was wise, not an idiot. He knew he was going to die. And all the people who came at the time of Acts or the time when Jesus was alive also knew that Solomon had not followed after God with all of his heart. As he prays here, right? As his life goes on, we see Solomon led astray. Well, if we're going to pray, we have to know what God has said. And if we're going to pray, don't you think it probably makes sense to know what God has done, too? What has God done? Where is he in the process of keeping his promises. The Israelites, when Jesus came, refused to look at what Jesus had done. They refused to look at how God was fulfilling his promises. They didn't want to see it. Now, that kept them away from God. That prevented them from praying what they needed to pray. What did they need to pray? They needed to pray, God, 
save me through your Messiah, Jesus Christ. You promised to send a Savior, and now you have sent him. Now fulfill your promise the rest of the way. You see how this is what Solomon's prayer was. Do you see that? Keeping covenant and showing loving kindness. That's how Solomon describes it. Keeping covenant and showing loving kindness. Was God showing loving kindness when he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die so that we could have forgiveness of sins? Where else do you see loving kindness like that? Was he keeping covenant? Only from some of the first words we know that he spoke. From the very beginning, he said that he would provide a savior. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he told them, God, you said you would send a Messiah, and now you have. Solomon says, God, you said this to my father David, and, and now you've done it. Now keep doing it. Here's how Solomon, in verse 26, says, keep doing it. He says, now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. Well, why would you say, let your word be confirmed if it's already done? And he just got done saying, you have spoken it with your mouth and you have accomplished it with your hand. Because he knows, he sees. It's incomplete. It's not there yet. It's partial, right? And so here we are, 2,000 years after Christ's death and resurrection and return to heaven. And what do we pray? We pray, God, you have spoken with your mouth and you have accomplished with your hand. You said you would send a Savior, and then you did. Now confirm your words. Well, what's left to be confirmed? After all, Jesus said, it is finished. Well, do you know God's word? Do you know God's word enough to know? He said there were still things he was going to do in the future that he hasn't done yet. I hope you know. He said he's going to come again. That's glorious news, isn't it?
He said he was going to prepare a place for us. That's good news too, isn't it? God, you've you said and you've done. Now finish it. Confirm it. Confirm the work of your hands. Confirm your words. Do what you said you were going to do. We must not be like the Israelites. The Israelites picked and choose just what they wanted to hear. The things from the Old Testament that made them feel good. So that they could demand a certain thing from God. And feel like it was what he had promised. Now, is that tempting for us today? Absolutely, it's tempting for us today. Because, you know what? We want to do exactly what the Israelites did, which was live for now and here. And be very concerned about our earthly bodies, our freedoms, They looked, at this, they looked at the history of their people and they said, God, you, you said you would bring us up out of Egypt and, and you did. Now give us our freedom. We're sick of being under the Romans. But see, they were blind to what God had actually said. They didn't want to know what they were being freed from was their sin. The power of their sin had been broken. The chains were gone. But they had no interest. They wanted to be free from Rome. They wanted their property tax to go down. Is this what we're concerned about? Is this what we pray about? Oh God, you have, you have spoken now give me back my money. Oh God, you, you have spoken. Now, now give me my freedom. Oh God, you have, you have promised. Now give me a man to follow. Someone who will make me feel really good about our future. These are the things that are tempting to us. The Israelites, they'd lost track of what God had actually promised. Because they did not know what his words were. They didn't even notice that there were Gentiles that were going to come in. <laughs> they didn't have any idea that Christ's kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. They refused to see what Jesus had done because it didn't line up with what they wanted right now. Instead of looking to see whether it lined up with what God said he would do, I think it, 
I think it can seem weird to us to pray and ask God to do what he has promised. Like, really? Isn't that like faithless or something? God said he's going to do it. I don't have to pray about it. He said he's going to do it. We know he's going to do it. Why bother praying about it? Right? No. Learn from Solomon. This is how the people of God have always prayed. And I can give you example after example after example. Do you remember what Moses had to do? He had to pray to God. He had to beg God, no, don't destroy the Israelites because you said And God answered his prayer, didn't he? Because God keeps his word. Yes, absolutely. He keeps his word. But are you really going to say it wasn't God answering Moses' prayer? It was God answering Moses' prayer, wasn't it? What about Jesus? Jesus prayed. He prayed all the time. Was it silly of him to pray? You see, I don't think we really understand prayer very well. We think it's pointless to pray for things that we know are going to happen. Solomon prayed, God, you said you were going to do it. Now you've done it. Now keep doing it. You've kept covenant and loving kindness with us. Truth is, there are things left unfinished right now. God's business is not done here on earth. I'm going to end by reading from Revelation 22, the last chapter, the last book, the last verses. Couldn't decide how much of it to read. I kept adding more and more. So we're going all the way back to verse 12. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside, are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. 
I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Do you know what it says next? Come, Lord Jesus. What a prayer. He just got done saying, I am coming quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken. In times past, through your prophets, and now through your perfect Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King and Savior. And Father, we know what he has said. We know what you have said. And yet we so easily forget it. We so easily turn to the side. We know what you have promised, but we decide we want other things. Or we know what you have said, Father, and so we take it for granted and we don't bother praying for it. We don't bother remembering it. And yet, Father, your word is filled with men who, having heard what you promised, then come to you and say, now, Father, do it. And so we come to you, Father, and we pray with Moses, and with Solomon, and with Daniel, and with Jesus, and with James, and with John. Father, we know what you have said now. Father, keep your covenant. Fulfill, confirm the words that you have spoken. Let your son return, Father. And Father, we will not listen to those that counsel despair. We will not turn aside to the right or to the left, but we will run after what you have spoken. Now, Father, grant the strength that you have promised that you would give us to run this race because we know we would turn to the side, but for your word, keep us as you have promised, Father. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.